18 years since 9-11, this last, this, this last 11th of September. Most everybody in this room can probably remember where you were and what you were doing when those planes flew into the World Trade Center towers, the Pentagon, and that field in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, where Flight 93 crashed. Nearly 3,000 people lost their lives that day. And our world was changed forever. Before that day, the defining experience that had a similar effect was perhaps the day that President John F. Kennedy was assassinated. In Dallas, Texas, November 22nd, 1963, those of us in my generation and maybe older can tell you what we were doing, where we were, when that event took place. You remember? And for many of us, this too was a turning point event. In the fall of 1963, this nation experienced what was, uh, it's been described as a kind of a loss of innocence, a deep sadness that never seemed to lift after that day when JFK was shot. And for those in an earlier generation, there was another event. Do you know what it was? Absolutely. The, the day that lived on in infamy, to quote President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the bombing of Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941, thrusting the USA into a Second World War. And from that day forward, the lives of literally everyone were in some way changed. At the opening of this text in Isaiah, chapter 6, there is a similar statement. It's, it's not a reference to a day, but actually to a whole year. But it's likely the same kind of thing. The year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah was one of those rare rulers in Israel, there wasn't very many of them, but one of those rare rulers who not only had a long reign, 52 years reign, but also he was actually a kind of a good king. Israel didn't have very many good kings. He accomplished military successes, he strengthened the fortifications of Jerusalem, and he even devoted some attention to things that helped the people, things like agriculture. <laughs> So, not that Uzziah's life was all wonderful. He actually had a disagreement with the, the priests of Israel over some cultic observances, and, and he was soon after that struck with the disease leprosy. And because of his leprosy, he was not able to be in public, and so he assigned, he appointed his son, Jotham, as co-regent during his final years. But here's the deal. His death happened at the beginning of the prophetic ministry of Isaiah, whose book we're reading this morning, which suggests that when Isaiah was a young man, Israel was enjoying stability and peace and prosperity, kind of a, a golden era 
which was rare in their history as a whole. And when Isaiah speaks of the year that King Uzziah died, it's as if he's referring to before 9-11 or before JFK's death. Translated, back when things were better, back when we were innocent, before we awoke to a different world where other nations were out to get us, because people drifted away from God and his judgment fell upon us. You see, things changed radically when a new came, and such was the case. Eight years after Uzziah's death, his son Jotham only lasted eight years, and then he was replaced by Jotham's son, Ahaz. Ahaz was a horrible king. He even sacrificed his own son on a Canaanite altar. That's how low things went during Ahaz's reign. So the death of Uzziah marked a shift for young Isaiah and his people. Things would never be the same. And from then on, people would say, oh, oh, remember the good old days when it seemed everybody was happier? We didn't need to worry so much church was always full. There were so many young people around. Then we raised the roof as we sang the good old songs, and for the most part, the world made more sense back then. Not like today. The world has gone crazy. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) Folks, we're living through a time like this right now. For those who remember the 60s, 1960s or earlier, there has been a constant shift underway in this culture ever since then. In the 60s, there was what most see as a kind of a Mount St. Helens explosion in our our socio-cultural religious life in North America from the Civil Rights Movement to the Vietnam War, the sexual revolution, the emergence of the, of the self as the main reference point for meaning, the human potential movement, the women's movement, Massive suburbanization of our culture, the proliferation of media and technology that has happened since then. All of these things got their start in the 1960s. And things have never been the same. And these changes are massive. There's no other way to say it. And it's no secret that the church in North America has taken a huge hit in these years. Attendance has gone down, 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 down ever since the 60s. And churches have tried to do things and to try, they've tried different methods of getting getting more people interested and lots of programs and, you know, it's been like one fad right after another, it seems. But consider the following research statistics. In America, 
if you were born between 1925 and 1945, there's a 60% chance you are in church today. 60%. If you were born between 46 and 64, that's me, there's a 40% chance that you're in church today. If you were born between 65 and 83, there's a 20% chance you're in church today. You see where this is going? If you were born after 84, research says that there's less than a 10% chance you're in church today. What's going on? We need to be aware of this. Some are calling the area the era in which we live post-Christian in our country. Especially in the Pacific Northwest, I think we feel it more than they do in the Southeast. Now, I'm not suggesting that we freak out over this. <laughs> it's a reality. But we need to be aware that things have changed. Just as they had in Isaiah's day. So it's clear to me that what Isaiah has to say is extremely relevant to life in 2019. In the year that King Uzziah died, there was a shift. From then on, things were different. Things are different for us now. So let's look at what happens to him in this chapter 6, because it's really interesting. First, he has a vision. The hugeness of God. We sang it this morning. I see the Lord seated on his throne, exalted, and the train of his robe fills the temple with glory. You sang it. We sang it. Imagine what he's saying here. This heavenly vision is complete with six-winged angels and shouts of holy, holy, holy that rattled the doorposts on the temple. The whole earth is full of his glory. Yes, things have changed, but you know what? God is still on the throne. God is still sovereign. God is huge. God is so big that even though Isaiah is in a temple or in a large house, whatever it is, a big room, God's so big that when God shows up, the, the, the fringe on his robe, fills up the temple. This is how big God is. <laughs> this is a little fringe fills up the temple. God is so much bigger than the fringe. And even though people turned away from God, God is still sovereign, filling the earth with glory. So that's where we begin in this perspective. Isaiah's response to this is dread. He knows what Exodus 33 says about seeing God. You can't see God and live. If you see God, you're a dead person. No one can survive. On top of this, he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. and I live among a people who you know, are the same. He's saying, he's saying, I'm done for. But in a miraculous act of grace and forgiveness, the angel touches Isaiah's mouth with a live coal. And, his, and this coal blots out his sin. That's kind of amazing. 
I mean, and before we talk about what all this all means, just, just notice one thing about this. There is a call to speak. The Lord asks a question. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says the famous words, here I am. Here I am, send me. He then receives this strange call to mission. It's as if God is saying, go speak to the people. They're not going to listen, but go speak to them. It will be very frustrating, but go. Go prophesy to them. So that happens. And then one more piece. At the end of this rather pessimistic chapter, there is this. Even though Judah and the capital of Jerusalem will be like an oak tree that has been cut down. Can you picture an oak tree that has been cut down? Duard, have you ever cut down an oak tree? Oak, it's really sad when an oak tree gets cut down. Duard has cut down a lot of big trees all along the back of our property. They all went down. <laughs> big fir trees, but an oak tree. You wouldn't cut down an oak tree because it's strong and it's beautiful. And, and um, I mean, obviously, we do have oak trees that have been cut down because we have things made out of oak. But it's sad. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Yes, I'm sad. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Don. <laughs> it's kind of a tragic thing, especially if it gets blown down in a storm or it's just, it's a waste. But Isaiah says there's something interesting about this stump that's there. There is a seed in that stump. There's still a seed, and something's going to happen. So these are quite a few interesting images here. What does it all mean? Well, first of all, Isaiah's statement about his sin and his people's sin. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I am among a people of unclean lips. You would think this would disqualify him from... God's calling. Did it? Did it? No. In fact, God responds by miraculously restoring him with that coal that he places on his mouth. Now, notice it's not the normal blood sacrifice for forgiveness that one would expect. The Israelites lived in this sacrificial system where blood was spilled, the blood of an animal was spilled, and the blood would blot out the sin. But this is a different thing. This is like a miraculous different thing. This blotting out of sin with a coal. So number one, even though Isaiah had disqualified himself, saying, I'm dead, woe is me, I'm going to die. I'm a, un, I, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Even though he's disqualified himself, God immediately says, no, you are re-qualified. And this is a theme that happens over and over again in the scriptures. Everyone from Moses to Gideon to uh, Jeremiah to Isaiah, um, the, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, God takes the unlikely, the sinful, the incompetent, the unqualified, the self-disqualified and says, I have something that needs doing. Will you go? So the first question this morning is, have you disqualified yourself? If so, hear and believe the word of the Lord today. God still has something for you. 
No one within the sound of my voice right now is exempt today. God has something for you to do, a mission, a calling, every single person in this room. It's good news. You may feel disqualified. You may feel too old, too sick. You may feel too sinful, incompetent. No. God has something for you to do. And it's an exciting something. Second, the, the, the puzzling picture of the call to futility, <laughs> being called to something futile. Uh, yes, Isaiah, speak to me, but I expect the people to reject your message. They will close their minds, they'll close their ears, and they'll shut their eyes. Verse 10. The message, I believe, is loud and clear here. The messenger is not to take responsibility or liability for the response to the message. You hearing that? Speaking for God, such as sharing your faith with your friends, with your family, can be extremely discouraging. I don't know if you've ever experienced that discouragement. But it is debilitating only when we interpret the response as a verdict upon us, the messengers. So hear and believe this good news. Take heart and speak the truth in love. That's really important, that last part, in love. If you hit someone over the head with the gospel, it actually kind of disqualifies it because it's supposed to be good news. <laughs> Don't give up. That's the message. Don't give up. The response you receive now is not the end of the story. Multitudes have reacted negatively to the gospel the first time around and then change their mind later. So don't give up. It may seem futile as it did to Isaiah. Don't give up. Okay, one more thing. The final words in this chapter foreshadow Isaiah chapter 11. We're gonna come to Isaiah 11 later. This seed that I mentioned, the seed in the stump. The oak tree has fallen over, it's very tragic. But there's a seed in the stump, he says, a shoot that will come out of the stump of Jesse, chapter 11. You know that verse? For hundreds of years, Christians have looked to this prophecy as referring to Jesus. Jesse, you see, was the, was the father of King David, and it's from his line that Jesus was born a thousand years later. Now, we can say this because we have the advantage of knowing the history is this what Isaiah had in mind? Well, probably not. But for Isaiah of chapter 6, it is this. Even when things look really bad, desperate, bleak, there is always hope. Always. Because God never gives up on his people. This morning, it's very possible that there are a few of us who feel this level of hopelessness in this room. It may look very dark right now. Things did not turn out the way you thought. Your plans and your dreams may look like a felled tree right now. You may be thinking, what's the use? 
It's over. Hear God's word to you today. God always leaves a little life in the stump. He's the one who brings life out of death. Vitality from near destruction. God is the God who saves. So hear and believe this good news. You have a calling, an ability to be a bearer of God's message to the world, and even if it seems pointless at times, even if it feels hopeless at others, he is still calling you. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? The only requirement is our willingness to say, here I am, send me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.